Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. To the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, so we put a wrap on the... 2022 playoff version, 2023 NFL season. For many, it is a time of grief. It is a time of desperation. The days will go by very slow for you until there is football once again. We are every single opportunity we get here on Into the Night. Going to try to change that. Uh, Give you some other suggestions on how to pass the time, and, you know, I do think it's going to be an incredible offseason for Jaguar fans. Certainly, you know, and I'll say this, when you got Trevor and you had Urban Meyer, it, it was huge as far as the buzz. I thought there was less of a buzz a year ago, even though you have a much better quarterback who's improved and obviously a much better coach and a better staff, but I, I think things had lessened a little bit because of the timing it took to get Doug Peterson in here and, you know, the whole lack of, uh, of trying to figure out and understand who wanted this guy, who wanted that guy. But this is totally different now. Whether you look at the power rankings, ESPN had one today. The Jaguars begin in the way too early power rankings of, uh, of 2023 at 10. All right, we talked about the odds last week. Um, Jacksonville a year ago was 100 to one to win the Super Bowl. In some circles, they were 150 to one to win a Super Bowl. Now they're 25 to one, so they're not sneaking up on anyone. Plus, you look at the quarterback scenario in the AFC South. I think you can make a case that Jacksonville should go six and zero there. Also, one of their opponents coming up later on this year will be the NFC South, where really all four teams are scrambling at the present time to try to figure out who is going to be the signal caller once the season does get underway. Two signal callers last night were simply outstanding. There's really no other way to say it. Jalen Hurts, in a losing effort, did really everything that he could uh, to win the game. He had that major drop by Watkins. You You had some debatable calls that went back and forth. And, you know, once again, we as football fans still don't know what a catch is, okay? There were plenty of examples last night. The situation with Godert, the situation with um, Devontae Smith, the fumble on the ball that went to Miles Sanders when he was absolutely destroyed by Legereus Sneed. It could have led to a second defensive touchdown in this game for Kansas City. Obviously, they got one earlier, and it was a bang-bang play. I happen to think it was the right call. You know, now we're learning about a football move, and that's been something that has been added uh, into trying to figure everything out when it's all said and done. Um, Andy Reid was brilliant. You know, him and Eric Bieniemy 
to have those two touchdowns were obvious. You know, Chad Henney could have completed those passes. Anyone could have completed those passes. How can you have a goal line scenario where you don't have anyone within 10 yards of Kadarius Toney, certainly the first touchdown. And if you go back, and Chad Henney said this after the game, he said they took that play from when Jacksonville met Kansas City in the regular season. Okay, if you remember, Jamal Agnew was to the right of Trevor Lawrence. Jamal Agnew went in motion towards the right sideline, stopped, came back, then turned around and went back to where he was originally running in motion, and Jamal Agnew was wide open for a touchdown against Kansas City. Chad Henney told someone last night that that's exactly what Kansas City did. They, they used that same play, and it, it worked, and it was a phenomenal play call, uh, play call. So, you know, the reason why I took Kansas City, the reason why J.J., took Kansas City, and there were very few of us who actually did this. I know the Philly Rooster uh, came in and did it when we had our three handicappers on last week. Uh, Rooster was the one who chose the Kansas City Chiefs. To me, it came down to two key ingredients, okay? I think Andy Reid is a better coach than Nick Sirianni, and I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. And again, Jalen Hurts didn't do anything to lose that game last night. That was great play calling. That was Patrick Mahomes when the game was on the line, the ability to have a 26-yard run on one leg. And then obviously the officiating, they did what they did, and it changed the complete magnitude of this contest. This is what I wanted. If, if you listen regularly, I do appreciate it. But I spent the last two weeks, you know, really clamoring for this. I, I, I wanted to see an official's call affect the outcome of a game. And not because I'm a miserable human being and, and I got nothing better to do. I'm, I'm trying to get this fixed. I'm trying to demand accountability, okay? And it's going to be a very difficult process. If you look at all of those plays that were in doubt, it's hard. It's hard to figure out Devontae Smith. I actually think they got that call right. It's hard to figure out the Miles Sanders. Um, Originally called the fumble, then it was reversed. Uh, The Godert situation, I, I mean, he had it, he bobbled it, And then he had it again. To me, that was the most difficult of those three calls that were, in fact, reviewed. Now, the turnover gets automatically reviewed by the NFL. So, you know, that didn't take as long. It's interesting. When the NFL is responsible for doing their own version of a call, which happens after a turnover, it happens after a touchdown, Everything is set upstairs. That seems to be more in a timely fashion. But when you throw a flag, I mean, it took five minutes to do the Devontae Smith reception, whether it was one or it was not one. And that, to me, is one of the major things that that has to change in the NFL. You have to have someone up there where it's one person and one person only. and 
things have to be expedited, all right? If it's an obvious call, stay with the obvious call. If it is one that is in such need of 30 different camera angles and thorough analysis, this and that, this and that, um, that is going to draw this thing along even more than it already has. And I, I think it's just going to disgruntle NFL fans. To me, the most important thing that you can do is get the call right. And in this case, did they get these calls right a night ago? I mean, you had a pass interference. James Bradbury admitted to holding uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. He admitted it. Okay, in my world, there's no way Schuster makes that grab. Even if he's not held, it was overthrown. And there were calls earlier in the game where there was clear holding, and it wasn't called, yet you call it with 154 to go on a third and eight. It just smells. So this is what I wanted. I wanted an upset fan base, and you got that now in Philly, and and obviously that's worst-case scenario because they are rioting in Philadelphia. There was a stabbing. In Philadelphia, they were throwing beer bottles at the cops in Philadelphia. I mean, they would have done that if they won, right? But it gets that much worse if they lose. There's a tiny bit of um, a smile here because those are the most miserable people on this planet. And, hell, they would have been angry. And I mean, they're booing Dak Prescott when he gets, you know, he gets the man – he gets the Man of the Year award in the NFL for doing things that are charitable. And this Philly crowd is going to boo Dak Prescott. So, you know, that that's just Philadelphia. Um, if it had gone the other way, I probably would have felt a little bit worse for Kansas City because I truly do, and I've always said this, I think Midwest fans are the best fans that you're going to find in our country. Okay, you go to places like Illinois and Indiana and Wisconsin and slide over to uh, Missouri. Yeah, I mean, they just Kansas City fans to me have always been a really good group. And I'm not only saying that in the terms of what I have witnessed with uh, Kansas City Chief fans, you know, going to Arrowhead. I've also been to a few Final Fours where Kansas has been represented. And I think Kansas basketball fans are, you know, equally the the same and I know they cross over in the state of Kansas and Missouri but trust me um there, there's a lot of back and forth that station I almost worked when I before I came here I almost went to Kansas City okay it was just too cold and you know I I've talked about it often that one of the deciding points for me is and it was a selling point for them but it, to me it was a total detraction uh, first off, I would have had to have done mornings, which would have been rough getting up that early. But secondly, he he tried to turn me on on becoming the the Kansas um, sideline reporter because this station in Kansas City, much like us here in Jacksonville with the Gators, we were the home of Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks. So we would cover all of their sporting events. But you know, I just couldn't imagine me being in Ames, Iowa. On a Saturday afternoon, you know, Iowa State, Kansas, getting after it in college football 
where obviously my heart is with Florida State. And even when I was in Chicago, to me, it was all about watching the SEC, watching Florida State, watching the big games every week. I mean, with apologies, I imagine Ames, Iowa uh, is a blast. But but to me, it, it, it was a huge turnoff. Anyway, nonetheless, great fans in that part of the country, uh, the exact opposite of what you do get in Philadelphia. So that happened last night. We got the obligatory Travis Kelsey. No one respected us. No one believed in us, which is so comical. Okay, you were a number one seed. Um, oh, most did take Philadelphia, but come on. You can't go to the no one card after winning your second Super Bowl in four years, yet we did see that one night ago. So we got a lot to do, and eventually we're going to switch this over to a comment uh, in a topic that does bring in the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, you know, really final thoughts on this season and once again in a major sporting event, the officiating is a huge factor in it all. To me, it's about consistency. And to sports fans out there, if you follow the big four, you understand what an umpire's strike zone is. You, you, the, the pattern begins to set itself in the early innings. Whether it's a high strike, whether it's a ball off the black of the outside of the plate, you, you, you get an understanding as to what the umpire is doing as far as his ability to call balls and strikes. In hockey, all right, there's been that old ad. If this was in hockey last night, anything short of, you know, taking a stick and and slicing off a guy's ear where blood is pouring onto, I'll go with the sweater because that's the term they've used forever in the National Hockey League, are they going to call a penalty? They, they just do not. They they swallow the whistle at the very end of the game. But as well, you can get a, a, a good feel earlier in the contest. Are they letting them play or are they calling ticky-tack foul? Same with the NBA. Okay, I don't need to go through the examples. You know it. You can see it. You can see it in college basketball. You can see it in the NBA. You can tell that officiating crew is either letting things go or no. They're calling every little tap. Football needs to get into a similar situation. And frankly, I haven't heard that a lot about a flow in the game that is football-related. We saw last night Lane Johnson coming out early, out of his stance, from the right tackle position. We've discussed that the entire career for Juwan Taylor. Uh, The naked eye, it looks like Juwan Taylor is jumping the gun. It looks like he is moving back into his pass block stance before the ball is snapped to Trevor Lawrence. And it was working last night. I I, I know Kansas City fans and NFL fans uh, were complaining about that. But when when it comes to things such as holding, you know, I've been told this, you've been told this, you can call holding on every play on the offensive line in the NFL. What it comes down to is what are they allowing? What are they not allowing? If you're consistent, and last night, you know, this penalty on Bradbury became the ninth penalty of the game. Do you realize that six of the nine penalties were pre-snap? Okay, false start. You had that 
fourth down, Derek Noddy offside on a fourth and a yard and a half, which I, I think that's Bush too. That that whole third and short, fourth and short, all of a sudden we're watching rugby and it's a scrum. I I just can't believe that the NFL likes that. Th- that's not their game. Uh, and it was new, and they practiced it, and it worked well. No question about it uh, for Philadelphia. But I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you're going to see that that gets brought to the attention to NFL owners. And, and I think they're going to do the very best that they can to stop that. You know why? In a way, it's unstoppable. It, the whole Bush push and, and, and everything that we saw, you know, going back – what, 15, 20 years ago when Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush did that for USC at Notre Dame, now we're getting more and more of this, and it is loud. I mean, you hit what used to be, you know, forward progress. That that basically no longer comes into play. You can have linemen and whoever behind the back or behind Jalen Hurts and and push him forward to pick up a first down. It, it's something that can't be stopped. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see that change coming. I, I don't know anything uh, as far as that, but I'm, I'm just kind of guessing out here out loud that the NFL looked at that last night and was like, uh-uh, uh, we don't want this to be a part of what our game is all about moving forward. Because you and I know as well that this is a copycat league. If Philadelphia is running it and getting away with it, all, you know, all 31 of the other teams are all of a sudden going to add this in uh, to their offensive strategy. Back to the call and the consistency of the call last night. Only three post-snap penalties in the entire game. Okay? They let them play. The only post-snap penalty in the second half was that call right there on James Bradbury. Was it the right call by the definition? Absolutely. He's got his hands on him, okay? But do you make a call like that when you weren't making calls like that earlier? That, that's the point I'm trying to make. By the definition in the spirit of the rule, it was the right call. But there's no way that I can believe that on either team, Kansas City or Philadelphia, that they were not doing the same thing in all four quarters, and they didn't call it. So how do you call it on a third and eight with less than two minutes to go? It changed the complexion of the game. All right, so let's do this. Let's give you an opportunity. You know, I again, I, I, I think the best way that things have to be done is you got to put one man there, and one man only who – makes the decision. It's a split-second deal, and so many of these calls can go either way, okay? But these officials on the field need to take advantage, and the NFL needs to take advantage of the technology that they have. When you go upstairs, there should be, and, you know, there's different ways that you can have that eye in the sky and the sky judge, and you got the XFL. Is it the XFL coming in, or is it the Both. USFL? Both, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I want to see the USFL uses that sky judge full time. I'm, I'm, you know what? I honestly take off. 
I don't watch either one of these two leagues. I know there are diehard football fans out there who will, and you'll be able to get your fix that way and, and all the power to you. I just I basically pull away uh, from it. And, you know, the NFL's smart. I mean, tomorrow, for crying out loud, is Calvin Wrigley reinstatement day where he can apply. Actually, that will be on Wednesday. And yeah, I was looking today, I think we're, what, 73 days away from the draft. We're 30 days away from free agency. So there's always going to be something out there uh, NFL-related. But what is the best process, in your opinion? I'm asking you, okay? I mean, if you had money on Philadelphia last night, I'm sure you're upset. If you're a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan living here in Duval, you're absolutely upset. But how do you fix what is going on? Human error has always come into play when it comes to umpires, referees, or officials, and it always will come into play. How do you make things better? That's what I will ask you at 641-1010. That is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosure. So we on YouTube tonight. We are on YouTube. Go to 1010XL's YouTube page. We're the first video. We're live. Give us a like. Share us with your friends. Yes. We'll come back. We'll get uh, J.J. LaSalva's opinion on the game yesterday. As always, we do invite your opinion as well. All right. Opening comments by uh, brought to you here by Schmunez Vision. Let me tell you, right now my right eye is freaking out. I, I, I had an accident last night and uh, had an, an issue getting a contact out, and I got like a big dot uh, in my right eye. So I called ahead, and Schmunez is like, come on in right now. And I'm like, I can't. You know, I got some obligations that I got to do today on this Monday. Also, after about 30 beers during Super Bowl Sunday, I, I elected to – uh, kind of sleep it off, which is still the best remedy in the world as far as recovering from a night out drinking. So I'm like, eh, mark me now for Tuesday morning. So I'm going in tomorrow morning, and you know I have no idea what to expect. I'm sure he's going to look at it, and he sees this type of stuff all the time. But they're there in an emergency, and that's what's so cool about it, all right? High-quality medical and surgical eye care. Well, I had eye surgery, okay, on this eye going back over eight years ago. So there's been no issues. And every time I go there for a normal exam, everything is perfect. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see what he does discover uh, when I visit with him tomorrow morning. Uh, Such things as cataracts, all right? Especially if you're my age. You're 50 or older, you're probably in a scenario where you have a cataract and you think, I need cataract surgery. No. Doesn't always apply that way. And you may visit your eye doctor and he tries to sell you on the newest thing and the latest thing and the most expensive thing. Hey, the most expensive thing is not always the best thing. Okay? Remember that. Not only in life, but certainly when it comes to your eyes. So make uh, an appointment today for anything that it is that you need uh, that involves your eyes. That includes laser eye surgery. Your best bet is just call them. 299-2906 or go to schmunezvision.com. That's 299-2906 or schmunezvision.com. Care you can see. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, we lost Conrad Dobler today, the age of 72. It seems like it's a weekly occurrence now that... You know, folks my age or older, um, we're losing folks too young, man. 72. 
for Conrad Dober. Three Pro Bowls, but he was considered uh, by really everyone uh, football's dirtiest player. And apparently things he did in the ditch when he played on that same offensive line as as Dan Deardorff, he was a terror. And I can't imagine what it would be like today if Conrad Dober With all the was cameras. playing on the offensive line. Oh. Like, oh, that guy's eye gouging every single time down there, mm-hmm. grabbing cojones. I'm oh assuming a lot of that, yeah. a lot of both of those. I can't. I honestly, not playing football, not having ever played football, I don't know what else could be going on down there. But that's bad enough. Absolutely, it's bad enough. Yeah, if, he if made you're trying to get a fumble at the bottom of the scrum, and <sighs> someone grabs your berries. Dude. Your instant reaction is to let go of the football and protect yourself. And it, for those who wonder, and they don't wear protection like you do in hockey or you do if you're an infielder or a catcher in baseball. That's not the case in, in football. It wasn't the case when I growing up playing high school football. And it's just – now, I, I imagine there's probably been some scenarios where maybe – Someone is elected to to use it, but that's fair game. And you're going for that loose ball. Who knows what's going on inside that pile? But Conrad Dober was considered the dirtiest player to ever play football. You know, it's kind of hard to have a quote-unquote dirty player today because the way the NFL's cleaned everything up. Yeah, now who would you consider the – I guess Indomitian Sue. But that was for stuff he did 10 years ago. How about Gardner Johnson? Uh, Chance Chauncey Gardner Johnson, big hit last night, man. Yeah, but he's a big hitter. I don't know if I would say those were dirty hits. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Dirtiest player. Oh, I guess the guy for the Browns that hit homie in the head with a helmet—that's pretty dirty. Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett. Yeah, but he's one of the best players. Yeah, you in can the be NFL. the best and dirty. I mean, Bill Romanowski was dirty. Matt Millen was dirty. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some others back in the day. You look at some of the hits that Dick Buckus laid on people or or Jack Lambert, some of the hits that that he had. I mean, they they took away the – and we saw it on the longest yard where – what's it called again? With it, uh, the clothesline. The clothesline has been eliminated. The head slap. Pathetic. Was eliminated. I mean, if you were Ed Tutal Jones or Harvey Martin, Harvey Martin was like, what, six – I want to say Ed Tall Jones was like 6'9". Lee Carvey Martin was like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, you take Ernie the Cat Lad, you know, players like, excuse me, players like that absolutely have the ability to make things work uh, with, with the helmet slap. I was always a Scott Stevens guy. <laughs> Scott Stevens? <laughs> yeah, dirtiest players. Scott Stevens in hockey? Yes. You're talking about? I was making a joke. Okay. Yeah, well, that's a totally, I mean... That that is night and day uh, from what it used to Do be. Do Scott Stevens players type players even exist in the NHL anymore? Um, yes, but they get caught more. They they don't allow that. They're going to nip it in the bud. And unfortunately, because fighting has been eliminated, there are times where guys get more injured because of stick work, and that's bad. I mean, you can really mess up someone with your stick and back in the day when 
you know, up until the the 80s, mid-80s, you know, you go to the, the heyday of the 70s with the Broad Street Bullies in Philly and the Big Bad Bruins in Boston and, and Montreal could fight, and Chicago could fight. I mean, the stick work didn't, didn't apply. What do you mean much. by stick work? What I mean by stick work is back then they used to do it with their fists. Nowadays, y- you'll see like a slashing or a tripping or a hooking or someone take the stick to someone's face. When back in the day, they would have just fought. Right. Okay. Now, there, were, there, there were scenarios where sticks would get involved, but for the most part, it was, you know, fist to face and fist to face hurts. Okay, but it's a heck of a lot better. You're not tearing your ACL than taking or... a stick, yeah, to the face. And I think the oh, yes. I, I think the NHL made a major mistake with that. I really do. I mean, today's NHL game is very similar to the the faceless, nameless folks that you see on the PGA Tour. If you're not a star, you kind of see the same guy, right? They all look the same. They all. Um, do the same things. They all crush it off the tee. I mean, they're what, 5'10", 5'11", 160 pounds. But they're really hard to identify from one another. It's the same thing in the NHL. They put the helmets on them. So you can't see guys with long hair like a Ron Duguay who lives here in Jacksonville. You can't see guys who are as bald as a cue ball like Bobby Hull until I'm Tom Barker. Is it Dave Barker? I'm Dave, Dave Barker. Barker. Dave Barker here. I'm Dave Barker here. And Bobby Hull got the whole totally thing resotted. the late Bobby Hull. I mean, he left the Blackhawks in the early 70s, bald as, you know, was literally bald is a bowling ball. And then we saw him like a year later, man. The guy had like a mame. He had business in the front, you know, party in the back. He had the thing feathered. So was that a a, a wig? I, I don't know if it was a wig or if it was one of those hair club deals where he Even back then, wow. legitimately had it sodded on. Unlike the field that they played on last night. Mm. It, I feel like that's a that's a talking point every Super Bowl is like something about the cleats or the field, or the paint, or, you know, something weird. Guys slipping and falling. Last night, obviously, it was an extremely high level. But it's like, there's always something. Do we really need, like, the massive logos on the 25-yard line like we had last night? Mm Mm-mm. No. It's just always overkill. It was a a hockey ring. Guys were scared. I can't remember his name. I think he was called the Field Doctor. He's, like, mid-90s now. But I actually interviewed him probably 15, 20 years ago when I was in Chicago. And he's been responsible for, for, for Super Bowls. He's been responsible for World Series. They spent $800,000, and they literally grew this grass in like a barn over the last two years. And they installed it two weeks ago. They rolled it daily. They did everything in their power for this to be the best possible surface that it could be, and it was terrible. I mean, from the moment the game began, they had to change cleats. Um, offensive linemen could not, you know, put put their feet into the ground in, in pass block situations. We saw kicks where the kicker was slipping. We saw numerous times where 
you know, skill position guys were slipping and trying to cover guys that were slipping. I tell you, one particular play, and I can't remember if it was Hurts or Mahomes, but that knee went down, and that's the one rule that dis- that I despise in college football. I've never been able to figure it out why if your knee goes down and you're not touched. In college football, they blow the whistle. In the NFL, they're going to let you play. And all of a sudden, you had a bad field condition like this last night. It, it, it really did rub uh, or, you know, um, just rub people the wrong way. Why do that for the Super Bowl? Why, like, have a new field, a new grass? Why not just go with what you were playing on all season long? I, I don't. I really don't understand the need to change things and why you want to risk it in a game like this. Oh, remember the kicker? Oh, yeah. That's what, all I kept thinking. Oh, yeah. You know, that was on a kickoff. But all I kept thinking was at the end of the game, damn, so they're going to forego a touchdown mm-hmm. to kick this field goal right on that slippery logo, oh, too. Yeah. And they even brought it up in the broadcast, and it's just like, imagine if that's how this game goes to overtime and they end up losing is because they didn't take the touchdown that they were given. By the way, in no other sport is it a strategy to let the opponent score. I don't know how you fix that or if that's fixable at all, but I despise a game ending like that, and we see it all the time. Well, we've seen it now in a couple of Super Bowls. The Giants Super Bowl. Uh, I'm trying to think who was that. Bradshaw. Somebody was, was supposed. Was it Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay? I'm trying. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't on remember. This. Um, but there was a guy that ran into the end zone, mm-hmm. and maybe he wasn't supposed to, or and the defense shut it down. Yeah. Yes. Like you it know, didn't end up hurting them, but I'm kind of one of those that take the touchdown guy. Yeah, I am. Now we don't know. That ball was deflected last night. That that hurts through, but on the hail mary, he yeah he had the arm strength to get there if it did not get deflected. I also and, don't understand on talking about that why they did the squib kick. Like mm-hmm. every single kick in the game from both kickers was easily in the end zone deep for a touchback. Right. So it's like why give them an extra fifteen yards here? I mean, I understand it takes a few seconds off the clock, but that one was a head-scratcher to me. Well, it, it yeah, it, it went from eight seconds to four seconds when the whoever it was picked up that squib kick and probably picked up 20 or some odd yards. Which, to me, But it took four seconds off the clock. There's not, you're not going to be able to run two plays in that amount of time anyways. Like, you only have one play left. Make it as long as possible. Whatever. They won. Yeah. Would you? You and I are at odds when it comes to the officiating. What do you think? I was, I had the Chiefs, so I was laughing. Uh, you know, I, I was winning money, so I was on the good end of this call. But I was laughing because I thought it was a terrible, not a terrible call, but like you said, terrible time to make that call. When we saw earlier in the game, I believe it was in the first quarter even, maybe second quarter, the Chiefs are driving. It's third down and medium. They had one of their receivers that was obviously pulled back. No flag. And you go, okay, well, this is the kind of game mm-hmm. we're playing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be a loose game. And to make a call like that after the entire game of not making that call was head-scratching to me, I think it was the right call, even with the overthrow. 
I think it was the right call. Um, but why make it there? I, I also think that Goddard catch on the sideline where he double caught it, there's no way that's a catch. Like to me, I was so confused. And they, you know, the announcers were bailing out the replay and the refs by saying that, oh, yeah, he tapped that one foot in right as he was catching it again. No, they didn't. And they also didn't show a freeze frame of him catching it the second time with the foot on the ground because that didn't exist. He didn't make that catch. Uh, I, I, I also think the other Dallas Goddard catch, I thought that Jalen Hurts got really lucky. I thought he had a great game, but, man, he was throwing up some 50-50 balls, and these dudes were making some amazing catches for him. Yeah, Brown made the touchdown. The touchdown, then there was the one on the side. There was two, drop one. two third downs that Goddard grabbed that mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Goddard was a lot better than I thought he was. All in all, amazing game. Great game. We're getting really spoiled with great Super Bowls. Um, this, uh, yeah, I, I have a, a guy out there that, it, that is involved in equipment, okay? And he's not with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but he's well in touch with all the equipment guys around the league, and he sent me something that I was not aware of. Do you realize that Philadelphia being the home team, they could have used any color gloves that they want, okay? I'm looking at this picture right now, and, and JJ, I'll send it to you, and, and maybe we can put it on Twitter here uh, during the break. But you look at the hold on Smith-Schuster by James Bradbury. And he's got green gloves on a white shirt. Mm. Right above the green glove is one of those are, are on his left hand. I can't see his right hand completely here, but it, it's it's a right it's a white sleeve on his um on his left uh, arm. If he had gone with the white gloves would they have been able to see this? Now, this did not come from the back judge. This came from the side judge who threw the flag on this particular call. But anyway, this has become kind of the underground tale that's going on with equipment managers in college and the NFL right now that, that really hasn't hit the mainstream media. If he was where he chose swag <laughs> over what was better. For the team. So it, you want to wear white. Right. Because it blends Kansas in Kansas City's with... wearing white. Exactly. He chose swag. He chose to, to look better with the green glove. But if he had the white glove, and, and again, we're going to put this on Twitter here Hold right on. now so during the break. they all have to wear the exact, so like the team picks green, so every single player on the team has to wear green? The home team can select what they want as far as gloves, whether it's white or green. Right. Okay. As far as I understand, the opponents are not allowed. Whatever color they wore, I guess it was the same. And and I, you know what? I don't know the rules because we've seen Kelsey forever with those yellow shoes and yoga. I, I don't think he had them on yesterday. Did he? I, I don't know. I mean, listen, this, this is new to me. I, I Even eight years as a sideline reporter, I never really – to me it was about cleats – it was about maybe changing. You Kelsey know, had white gloves on. Yesterday. So he wasn't wearing his classic no. yellow. 
That so I I, I think I want to say that the away team has to wear white. The home team can make some changes, but. but when I was a sideline reporter, I used to chalk up, you know, I used to talk to these equipment guys all the time about them changing cleats. I would also talk to them about visors. They, they, there were certain visors that, depending on how humid it was or whatever, they could get foggy, you know, they, they, whatever the case would be, they'd have them removed, they've had them added, but that was really it. You know, obviously, if a guy was putting a knee brace on, that would be something, but it was never about the color of the gloves. But this is a story. So we'll put that up on uh, on Twitter right now. And uh, we'll get back to your stuff here on the other side. If you want to join the conversation, best way to do so is on our text line, which is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. That number is 641-1010. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, the 4634 tells me it's the sod father. And I just looked it up. His name is George Toma. I remember interviewing him years ago. He's 94. And he has announced his retirement four hours ago after the debacle. Field conditions. Wait, was he involved in that? Last night, yes. Oh my God, what a terrible way to end an illustrious career. He has been the groundskeeper for every single Super Bowl field in the history of the game, all fifty-seven of them. Well, you're right. I mean, wow. You know, I've I've been to that stadium, and you know, it was very. There's very few times outside of when it's been raining, where field conditions really come into play. I mean, they, they get it these days, whether it's a prescription grass, uh, prescription turf or, or grass, they have it mastered. I, I don't understand why they put down a new surface like this if it has been working in this building in Arizona. They, they outcuted themselves and it backfired. And again, they spent $800,000. They spent two years growing this grass. Okay? And they got it wrong. It's, it's, um, do you remember the really Hall of Fame shame. game a couple years ago where they couldn't even play it? They literally canceled the Hall of Fame game because the grass was so slippery. I do. It was like unplayable. I went to the game out here on a naval ship, a when, basketball game, when it was Florida and Syracuse. And they had to shut that bad boy down. I, I want to say like midway through the first half. Did they ever restart it? No. Guys were slipping. There was too much perspiration oh, on I the do court. Oh, I that. Um, yeah, the old Boston Garden, when people don't know this, the, the old Boston Garden didn't even have air conditioning. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I grew up Sounds with no. terrible. I grew up with no air conditioning. Okay? I mean. That's just the way things were back then. Uh, and trust me, it gets hot in Boston in the middle of the summer. But you've had situations before where guys were slipping all over the parquet court and you had fog that would make itself into the ice. <laughs> you had that infamous, it was like a uh, three-overtime game when Edmonton beat Boston in the playoffs. And it was fog. I think it was Klima who had the game-winning goal for for Edmonton. So, anyway, yeah, I, just 
That was uh, 1988. Was it was it Peter Klima who had the, the goal? 1988 finals. Yep. Edmonton beat Boston. And in, in that particular game, there was fog all over the place. I, I just think they got too cute. Yeah, Keep just, it simple, stupid. Exactly. Leave it alone. I mean, look at these guys. They were they were slipping all over the place last night. And, you know, there's there's really no need for it, in my opinion. All right. Uh, yada, yada, yada. 43-47 says, come on, Baloo, with the gloves. Go back and watch the game. The Ingles wore all different colored gloves. This is not a story. Well, it is a story, okay? Because that's all good and fine. But my point, and more importantly, what is dominating the underground of equipment <laughs> managers from uh, Topeka, Kansas, to Portland, Maine, back out to Portland, Oregon, those in the know, they're like, if he went with the white gloves against the Kansas City white shirt, would the call have been made? I don't have an answer for you. You know, there's real strategy in boxing with the color of gloves you pick. Uh-huh. They always tell you don't pick white gloves because it's harder for the refs, excuse me, the judges to see when you're actually hitting the guy in the face. This sort of goes the same way, especially on white. The guy's wearing white. He's got a white sleeve on. I dig it. They looked good, though, and that's what they wanted. It's not every day that... You know, we do a radio show here and um, credit the equipment guys. Okay? Unsung heroes. I love them. I absolutely love I mean, the ones that Jacksonville has, I've known George forever. I've known Jimmy Luck. So these guys stay uh, forever. through coaches. Oh, yeah. Coaches come and go. The guy who cleans the uh, dirty drawers stays. Stilly, I've known. Um, just just really good guys, under, underappreciated guys who they're there way before the players and they're there way after they're gone. It, you know what is amazing is to watch this staff and what they do in the locker room after an away game, how they get everything assembled, put in bags, and stacked in that charter plane before they go home. Pe- people don't think about that. Okay, it's not like you have a staff of 50 and you have one player for one equipment manager. No, 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 no. You know, I'm. I, How many is there? Well, there's four, there's four full-time guys. That travel. That travel. And, and, and I, you know, possibly. That's not a lot. Right, but possibly they add a couple of, um, of others that, that, that are there that, that do, you know, do some other things on the sideline. But as far as I'm concerned, it's it's four. I'm aware of it. It's four full time guys, and three of them have been there for a very long period of time. I forget the fourth man. He uh, he came in recently. Uh, but anyway, they're, they're good guys. He's give me. I, I still got great swag. Yes. Oh my God. My it, Christmas must be easy. Oh man, it's great. Uh, yeah, but uh, but Kyle, Kyle Stillwell, Stilly, uh, Jimmy Luck, George. Uh, they're all really good guys, but um, anyway, yeah, that's what's being discussed right now. What so did, what did I have you, an opportunity to bring up an equipment manager. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I believe it. You know, what did you think of the actual broadcast last night? With, you know, we had two new voices calling the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was in a bar 
Okay. And we had volume, but no one's listening. It, it was a lot. Yeah, and I have it on tape, and I may go back and watch it. Um, I th- I thought they did fine. I don't know. It, they was did it, fine. It wasn't like last year's Super Bowl where Collinsworth made a total ass out of himself trying to figure out how well he's going to come back and win the game when in the whole world knows yet, well, you have Cooper Cup there, Chris. You know, maybe they'll throw the ball to the Triple Crown winner and Collinsworth's like, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to have to pull someone out of the stands, a beer salesman or whatever. I mean, OBJ's not here. The whole world's like, hey, Chris, his name is Cooper Cup. He had the most receptions, most yards, and most touchdowns. You would think a producer, a director, someone would get in the earpiece of Chris Collinsworth and say, hey, Chris, mention Cooper Cup. <laughs> He's there. I, there. There was a couple issues for me. I think Olsen's pretty good, but there was when he was trying to explain to us how – Lane Johnson's not early like we just talked about in the first segment. Uh-huh. You know, pre-snap, before the snap or during the snap, however you want to say it. And as he's telling us that he's doing it on time, they're showing like super slow-mo of him obviously uh-huh. starting way before the snap. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you can't. No, they're obviously going early. So you're telling us something that's not happening. My biggest issue, though, it's not that he sucked. Or that he didn't do a good job, but like, I just need to get used to hearing Kevin Burkhart do a Super Bowl. It didn't. It wasn't a big enough voice for me. It wasn't Buck, Michaels, Nance. It was Kevin Burkhart. Like honestly, the first and there's no energy in those arenas because they're all like super rich people, <laughs> and like half of them aren't That's even fans sure. of the team. So like. Between every play, there's no noise. Uh-huh. It's dead silent, and they're just piping in loud pop music that's terrible. And uh-huh. then, like, Kevin Burkhart's calling the game. And I'm like, through the first two quarters, I'm like, this is a week six game. Mm. This feels so unsuper ish And, like, all the commercials sucked. Yeah, I like, could care less about the commercials. Me too, but it was just like the whole thing kind of su- – and then the third quarter hits, the Chiefs get the ball, they score immediately at halftime, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, you, it's getting serious now. When when you get to be my age and, and you know, you're you're drinking the way that I was, you, <laughs> you, you use every commercial break as an opportunity oh, to, in the bathroom. to visit the lavatory. Yeah. You know, and if it's a great commercial, I'll I'll, I'll listen to you. Unfortunately for me – Say it earlier. My apartment isn't so big, so yep. – when I go to use the bathroom, I still hear all, everything going on in the uh, That leaving early at right tackle, though, it, it, and I, I, I think you make some. I think there's probably a lot of people out there who agree with you on on the on the Burkhart situation because we we become familiar with with certain names, and you know if it's not one of the three that you mentioned, uh, Tariko would have been you know Tariko yeah, would have yeah, been fantastic. Yeah, um, but that whole moving early at right tackle is. Um, is becoming a story in itself because we've seen it in the career here with Juwan Taylor. I mean, I get I get that question almost nightly during the season. Taylor's leaving early. Why isn't anyone calling? Well, it's kind of like you remember forever in baseball where you didn't have to touch the second base bag? You can on, just slide by it. On turning a double play ball? Yes. Okay, and even now you watch hockey – Okay, for those who don't know what the ice, what icing is, is at mid-ice, you have the red line. Then you have the two blue lines, which are the zone for the home team and the away team. 
Well, you see defensemen or wingers all the time release the puck like right as they're approaching the red line and the stick to the puck is still on the white side of their side, yet it crosses the red line and the uh, the blue line, and, and obviously it goes behind the crease and the red line there, which by definition is an icing, but just like turning a double play, it's so close they don't call it. Yeah, exactly. I I think it's going to change, honestly, because it's uh, uh, some of these guys are so early. You know, Jawan being one of them. That yep. it, it's it's weird when you watch it on TV. All right. Let's um, let's take a break. Why don't we do that? We got another hour. Look at all these folks coming in. I mean, all these people. I I just JJ's wrong. Baloo's wrong. Come on, Baloo with the gloves. <laughs> I love that. Screw equipment guys. Yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> uh, w- listen, there's nothing not to respect out of James Bradbury. The the guy yes took the blame. He certainly let the refs off a, off the hook. He took the blame. And, and I love the way he said it. He goes, yeah, I held them. But I thought they would let it go in a situation like that, meaning that's what they were doing the entire game. Meaning that there is a holding on every single play oh, throughout man. every football game, folks. It's terrible. But honestly, this is what I wanted. And the only reason why I wanted it is trying to force a change for the better of the game. And I don't know how. I'm not smart enough. Uh, certainly the sky judge to me and the final decision maker appears to be the most appropriate thing. Hockey, they go to Toronto. Look at baseball now. They're reviewing plays quicker. um, The fact that they, they go to someone else and, you know, we're getting into March. Before you know, it's going to be March Madness and and you're going to see a, a basketball game called for 38 minutes. And then you get to the final two minutes, and you and I know, regardless of the situation, there is going to be 13 seconds left on the clock, and there is going to be a debatable ball that goes out of bounds. What team touched it? What team did the officials say touched it? And then they're going to go to the monitor, Mm -hmm. and we're all going to see it, and we're all going to have an opinion on it. And it totally affects the outcome of a game. Um, the NFL is so far ahead of all these other sports, yet they're not getting it right. And look at the commissioner, man. Look what he said on Wednesday. It's never been better. And then it backfires like this. It's it's disappointing. And frankly, it has to be changed. I wish I just knew how to change it. Maybe you can tell us. 641-1010 on the text line. That is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosure. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, apparently Fox was hoping for the all-time viewership last night. It didn't work out. They got $113 million. It was less than $2 million away from the record. Uh, I've always felt this way when it comes to, uh, to ratings, whether it's uh, TV or radio. Um just don't know how accurate they are. I mean, to our listening, and, and by the way, I'm not complaining about radio uh, ratings. I'm not allowed to talk about them because of uh, 
subscribing or not subscribing to Arbitron. Um, but over the years, things have have been thumbs up as opposed to thumbs down. Uh, Ratings-wise, how many of you have ever filled out a book? I mean, honestly, uh, how many of you have ever been asked to fill out a radio diary to what you listen to and what you don't listen to? So it, it's it's very uh, it's it's very intriguing. They've tried some different methods and some changes um, over the years. And, and TV, I don't know how they come up with that number. Again, you ever had Nielsen come to your house? No, I have. Okay. So they, I'm assuming this is sort of how they do it. Probably like, hiding under my bed thinking someone's <laughs> trying to sell me encyclopedias or something. I always, I think they actually probably do it by the cable boxes and the satellite boxes and all that. They act like they don't track that, but I, I, I call BS. Um, but I'm, if I'm in a bar last night and I'm watching the yeah, game. Yeah, how do they count all of How do they the know bar? if there's 10 people in that bar or if there's 250 people they in that estimate. bar? I know they estimate with bars and stuff like that, but. But that's a huge, that's a huge range. It could they, be they, like 10 people at the bar, 200 right? people at the bar. So how, So what do they just take an average? I, I don't, I'm not sure when it comes to bars. All I know is with Nielsen, you as a Nielsen household, and I couldn't do it because I worked in radio, but they asked me to do it. Um, you basically just fill out what you watch all day long and send it to them. And then like, you're you represent like ten thousand people. You know, it's not like they can pull every single person that watches TV. So they just do a, a try to get as many as possible. I'm not sure how many people are Nielsen households, but that's how they used to do the Nielsen ratings. You would literally fill out a book. No. Yeah. But no, if you're at the bar, I, I don't. I always wondered that with pay per views. You know, well, I would think that would fights. be easier to to gauge. All right, uh, you, you're talking about in bars as well. Yeah. Well, there's supposed to be a monitor system there because you're supposed to charge per head. Yeah. And I per think per TV, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how things have changed. I, I I think depending on the size of the capacity mm-hmm. of your restaurant or your bar determines how much you're actually going to. Yeah. Pay for the fight. Like, I pay $80 for a pay-per-view at my house. If I owned fill-in-the-blank bar on Southside, I wouldn't just be able to pay $80 and show hundreds of people the product. That You're paying, you know, thousands and thousands for fights. Chad Henney retired following the game, 15 years in the league. Of course, he was here for five. Um, he made $46.9 million dollars. In 15 years, play for the Dolphins, Jags, and Chiefs. But how great is that going to be for him now? 15 years worth of NFL pension whenever that elects to kick in. So you figure he came into the league when he was probably 21 or 22, 15 years. So he's 36, 37. Okay. And you know what? Just imagine being a backup quarter and you had two former Jaguars with a backup quarterbacks yesterday in both Chad Henney and in Gardner Minshew. Um, nonetheless, uh, that announcement made a little bit earlier today. If Henney doesn't go 99 yards against the Jags or whatever it is, they might not even be in the play or Super Bowl. I still can't believe he did that. Unbelievable. And, you know, there were a lot of excuses for why he did it. Uh, Pacheco had a huge drive, but he still did it. 
I mean, the guy still did it. And just enormous. Do you, do you realize that in this game, the Chiefs are down 10 at half. There have only been two teams in the history of the Super Bowl that were down by 10 or more that came back and won the game. Okay? The, everyone remembers New England being down 28-3. Well, they were down 18 at half. Okay? And obviously, they ended up being down by 25 in the third quarter. But New England came back over Atlanta down 18. And then yesterday, the Chiefs down 10. They came back and won. Other teams, uh, 26-0 and zero outside of those two, when having a 10-point-plus lead at halftime. And, you know, that, that happened in this game. Kansas City only had eight possessions. Kansas City only had four possessions in the second half. And they scored on each and every possession. I mean, you could say what you want about this. But Philadelphia... And they allowed 17 points in the fourth quarter. Okay, look at the numbers. They allowed a touch in the first, a touch in the second. Again, it was a 24-14 game at half. Kansas City scored a touchdown in the third quarter. And then they put up 17 points in quarter number four. So this has really turned into, all right, let's blame the officiating. Let's blame this. Let's blame that. You also have to make plays. You you can't allow a Kadarius Tony sixty five yard punt return. You can't allow those two touchdowns to be scored. There was not a player within ten yards of either one of those guys. If you're joining us for the first time, Chad Henney did say after the game last night that the touchdown pass to Kadarius Tony was a play that they stole from the Jaguars when Jacksonville ran that in the regular season. That whole Jamal Agnew to the right of Lawrence running in motion, then coming back, and then going back in motion, and he scored a touchdown against the Chiefs uh, totally unscathed back in, what was it, week eight, uh, perhaps, uh, and, and they did that last night. I mean, time of possession, 35 minutes and 47 seconds for Philadelphia, 24-13 for Kansas City. It's... Third down efficiency. Philadelphia is 11 of 18, and they're two for two on fourth down with that foolish scrum play that they're now running. I mean, plays in the game, 72 for Philadelphia, 53 for Kansas City. They had more yards, 417 to, to 340. They dominated every statistical category. Okay, except for Kansas City, and we talked about this before Jacksonville faced them. The Chiefs were number one this year in red zone efficiency, 70% in the regular season. You go back to the loss that the Jaguars had with them in the divisional round, Kansas City was 3-for-3 in the red zone. That's measured by touchdowns, obviously, and not settling for field goals. Difference yesterday, in the red zone, Kansas City, four to five. Four touchdowns, one field goal. Philadelphia was three of five. So that all adds up to a Philadelphia loss in Kansas City now, their second Super Bowl in the last four years. All right, we come back. Let's talk about Mahomes here a little bit. I mean, he's already a Hall of Famer. And, you know, I guess I'm going to 
fall into the category as as well. I, I I'm not a big fan of always comparing. You know, we saw it with LeBron when he hit the scoring record past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar last week. Uh, you got people taking shots at him and saying, well, he's no Michael Jordan. Instead of just acknowledging greatness, somehow, somewhere, we're in a world now where everything has to be compared, all right? And, you know, I Jack and, and Tiger, and we saw it with Manning and Brady, and you know, now we have LeBron and Jordan. Well, now we're starting to get Mahomes and Brady. And if you look at the tail of the tape, right now Patrick Mahomes is ahead of Tom Brady. But then when you consider that Tom Brady did this up until he was 45 years of age, with Patrick Mahomes, you're talking about a man who is 27. He will not be 28 until September 18th. So he's going to play next year's season at only the age of 28. And what he has done so far in his career is unparalleled. So we'll come back, take a little look at that, give you an opportunity as well to voice your opinion on our text line. That number is 641-1010, and it's brought to you by Lifetime Enclosure. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, the Jaguars did side running back Kadri uh, Allison today to a future contract uh, for the 2023 season. He spent last year on the practice squad with Dallas. Was called up three times, so played in three of the 17 regular season games. Just updating this list, Kevin Austin, the wide receiver, who they got and paid extra for a year ago as a undrafted free agent. Um, he is... Signed to a futures contract. Koi Kronk, who kept getting called up late in the year. And good for Koi Kronk because can you imagine what that does to your salary? Instead of getting like, I want to say it's like eight, eight and a half, you know, like eight or 8,500 a week. You get called up, you probably make it in the 50s, 60s. So good stuff there. Jalen Moore, the wide receiver. James Murray is center. Uh... Uh, defensive back Io Oloa, EJ Perry, the well-traveled former was it BU or BC quarterback who went to Brown. I think it might have been BC. Garrett Prince, the tight end, did some good things last year in training camp. Uh, Mackie Sargent, a running back. Nick Thurman, a defensive end. Senator Daryl Williams, another wide receiver. And Seth Williams, Tyree Gillespie, a DB. Deontay Thompson, a DB. And now, again, they have added Allison today as a running back. So the very latest there for the Jaguars added to their 90-man roster. Of course, all of those players are going to have to have phenomenal camps in order to make the team. If not, there's the opportunity for them to be on the practice squad, many of which I just mentioned were on the practice squad this past year. All right, Mahomes now, you know, he, he sat behind Alex Smith in 2017. This wasn't a Trevor deal or like so many other quarterbacks. He had the luxury, you know, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Brett Favre, like a Tom Brady, even though Brady was a sixth-round pick. He had the luxury of, of of sitting for a year and observing. And then, of course, he he took over the, the full reins in, in 2018. So if you look at his first five years, what he has done is – I mean, simply spectacular. He, he is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, 
based on five years of work, okay? And, and uh, let's say he retired today. Let's say he just woke up tomorrow morning and said, I, you know, I, I've got a lovely wife and I've got great kids and I want to spend the rest of my life protecting my body. That's it for me. He's 64 and 16 in the regular season. He's 11 and 3 in the postseason. He has made three Super Bowl appearances. He's won two of the three. He has two Super Bowl MVPs. And he has two regular season MVPs. Oh, by the way, snapping that streak, the last time we had that was in 1999 when Kurt Warner won the MVP and then the Rams won the Super Bowl. The last nine MVPs who went to the Super Bowl, they all lost. Okay, eight of those nine were quarterbacks. So where do you put him right now? Do you agree with me? Five years he's in regardless? Oh, yeah, Uh, especially with the NFL when they're letting Rondé Barber in. I think that uh, obviously Patrick Mahomes is more important and better. I think it's very early, but if you're not already like preparing yourself for the Mahomes catching Brady talk for the next 10 years, uh, I got news for you. It's, it's happening. And this I'm, is all we're going to be talking about for the next 10 years. And, and I'm fine with that. For, for me, records are set to be broken. And listen, there's there's nothing not to like about Mahomes. Great okay? guy. Yes. Seemingly great guy. Yes. I mean, outside of jealousy, now I get it around here where it's about getting Trevor in and it's about navigating your way through the AFC, which all of a sudden now is absolutely stacked uh, with quarterbacks. You compare that to the NFC. And it's literally night and day. Jalen Hurts is certainly outstanding, but you can make a case that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is is going to get moved. Uh, who's the second-best quarterback right now in the NFC not named Jalen Hurts? Is it Dak Prescott? Is it Kirk Cousins? Am I missing an obvious one? Uh, look at the AFC South. Maybe Stafford uh, look at on the NFC day. Okay. And... Look at the NFC South, who the Jaguars are going to face this year. Look at those four quarterbacks right now in, in that particular division. In the NFC, it's it's amazing. It's it's Jalen Hurts's right now. We'll see what ends up happening. San Francisco is going to be interesting. You know, obviously they're going to move Garoppolo, and he may end up in Tampa. Right now, I think the feeling that Tampa is either Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to have to see. All right, so you go head to head. Mahomes is seventy five and nineteen in his career. Okay. That's a career-winning percentage of 79.7. Tom Brady, 251 and 82, okay? 35 and 13 in the playoffs. 10 Super Bowl appearances, 7 Super Bowl wins, 5 Super Bowl MVPs, 3 regular season MVPs. His overall record, again, we said Mahomes, 75 and 19. Tom Brady went 286 and 95 in his career. As great as Mahomes is, okay, he's 211 wins away from Tom Brady. 211. So let's do the math here. Let's let's pull out the old calculator, okay? Let's say 
well, 211, you divide that by, let's say, 20 years, okay? That's going to be, what, right well, over 10? Ten. Ten, well, ten oh, I did 211 divided by 17, which is how many games you play. He would have to go undefeated for 12 and a half seasons just to get that win. Number. Okay, well, what I did is I divided it <laughs> by 20, meaning he would have to win Ten and a half games a year for twenty for years. the next twenty years. For the next twenty years, he's twenty-seven to come up with the two hundred and eighty-six wins. He really got screwed by having to sit out that first year. Well, Brady sat out a year too. That's true. Yeah, and and, and Brady lost the full year due to injury when uh, week, week one he tore his ACL. Matt Castle came in, so Brady lost two years, and. You know, hey, listen, what we're seeing nowadays, I I wouldn't play that late into my career. I mean, that whole study that BU had about CTE last week was absolutely frightening. And, and I don't care if you play the role that, well, they're protecting these quarterbacks and they're not getting hurt. For, for me, when you have all this money and you have all this fame, there would be something about enjoying life after football. Okay, and too many of these players aren't able to do it. They going from point A to point B uh, is a struggle, and a lot of these guys, their brains are just absolutely scrambled. Like boxers. Oh, I'll I'll tell you one thing that Brady has over him that even if Mahomes catches the seven, you know, even if Mahomes catches the win total, all the stats, uh, mano y mano. They played each other in the Super Bowl. Yep. Brady won. Yeah. You can never take that back. I know the offensive line was screwed up, but, you know, Tampa beat the brakes off them. Listen, I'm a huge Brady guy. I mean, look, the only time I rooted against Tom Brady was when Jacksonville played him. And, you know, my, the range of, of emotions in January of 2018 as the Jaguar Sagan reporter watching that game and – on the other side was a team I grew up loving. But then, you know, being there and wanting it so bad for, for Jaguar fans was was really pretty incredible uh, to actually witness that. But uh, with, with Tom Brady, yeah, I mean, what what Patrick Mahomes is going to have to do is sick. And, you know, last night I was, I was thinking, you know, who do I want here? I like Mahomes. My girlfriend loves Mahomes. He went to Texas Tech. It's like, I get it, but do I want him chasing down Brady's legacy? And I'm like, you know, honestly, I'm okay with it. The other side of it to me was, what does this do here in Jacksonville? Does this create a little bit more fuel to the fire in Kansas City where now for Andy Reid, who's got three, if you include his one as an assistant, but he's got two as a head coach. Mahomes has two. Are they going after Belichick six and Brady seven? I mean, why wouldn't they? Are they going to still have that drive, or is it going to get a could it could it get a little soft? Could it get a little lenient because they've had massive success, and the way that this league is designed, no one is supposed to have massive success for this long period of a time. They've been to three Super Bowls in four years. They they are becoming a dynasty after the New England Patriots were a dynasty in a league where you're not supposed to have a dynasty. I 
don't think they're slowing down either. Like the way that Andy Reid was talking after the game is he's not even close to finish. Uh, you know, all that retirement talk, that's not happening. I don't think he catches Belichick six. I don't think he has enough time. You know, he's an older guy. He's a bigger guy. I don't think he's going to be sticking around for that long. That's going to take a long time. Will Mahomes, though, <laughs> right now it's hard to say no to that. Uh, but Reed, I don't think so. I think that I think they got a couple more runs left in him with Reed. But uh, after that, I don't think so. Yeah, the only thing I can think of that would slow down Mahomes would be an injury. And, you know, we saw it twice. You know, we saw it against Jacksonville, and then we saw it again last night. He gets hurt a lot. He does, and he's a tough man. Yes, he is. He is a tough dude. Uh, Terry Bradshaw taking a lot of crap for fat shaming Andy I Reed. saw that. He said Waddle over here. But, like, Andy <laughs> Reid is a guy who's very upfront about his fatness. You know, he talks about how much he likes burgers and fries and milkshakes and all this stuff. Like, it, we're big boys, uh, not literally, figuratively. Like, I, I think that he's going to be all right. I think Andy Reid has taken a few fat jokes before. There are people out there who are upset with Terry Bradshaw for saying, and I quote, big guy, let me get the big guy in here. Come on, waddle <laughs> over here, end of quote. And it was funny. And then at the end of the segment, Terry Bradshaw was quoted as saying, have a cheeseburger on us. End yes, of quote. but we all know that that's his thing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so last week you said something that I was like, man, Baloo's really on like a get off my lawn, old man. This is a really old man take from him. I don't agree with it. And it was your annoyance from Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And I was like, I like the guy, you know. But last night, I really came over to your side because I understand after they beat Cincinnati in the AFC title game, he breaks up Mahomes' postgame interview so he can, you know, slander the Cincinnati mayor. I got that. I thought that was cute and funny, okay? But he does it again yeah. during Mahomes' interview during the Super Bowl. It's like, let this guy have it. Well, He's the MVP. He's so talented. I actually he thought... He wants to be a pro wrestler bad. Yeah, the two weeks of Kelsey was not nearly as bad as I envisioned. <laughs> I mean, I, I really thought that something huge was going to come out of this. We ended up just getting, like, his mom's right. cookies or something. And, and I guess Jason's wife is on the verge of having a baby, like, any moment now. Mm. But I, I thought that it was going to really become something that... Because, you know, you shouldn't have the two weeks off. I hate uh, as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah, it ended up being better uh, than I expected. The, the one thing that got me with Kelsey is he went to the no one respected us card. Nobody thought we could win. Oh, man, it doesn't matter who wins or what the situation is. There's always someone. Travis Kelsey passed Gronk last night for the most postseason touchdowns. Travis Kelsey is entering a category of arguably the greatest wide receiver that the game has ever seen. I mean, he's approaching Tony Gonzalez. He He's probably past Gronk because he's going to play more games than Gronk. You know, I remember growing up when you had, you know, Kellen Winslow and you had Ozzie Newsome and you had phenomenal tight ends, Dave Casper, Billy Joe Dupree. Um, you know, where I'm from, Ben Coates was a very talented, Russ Francis before, but what Kelsey is doing. And I got the prop wrong too, by the way. 
I got one right and one wrong. The Six two- and a half. Yep. And you even tweeted out, you're like, how easy is this going to be? <laughs> After like the first quarter, he looked, he was wide open all well, the time. Well, he had three in the first quarter. Yep. I'm like, six and a half is automatic. And and the other one for me was Jalen Hurts, a, a, a rushing touchdown. That was done and dusted from the game. Right. Yeah, but six you, and a half, Kelsey ended up with six. I thought you got lucky on the first touchdown when I, I forget Gaines Gainwell or whatever his name is scored. Yeah. But then they review it. He was down at the inch line, and I'm like, oh, Baloo's got his rushing touchdown. Here mm. it is. And they are going to outlaw the bush push. I mean, they can't outlaw the everybody run into the pile. I mean, that you can't outlaw that play. But you can tell the running backs and the wide receivers. You can't put your hands on the guy. Because uh, it, it, it was, it's so boring, you know, and yeah, you just, just know they're going to get it every single time. The owners are going to, they don't want that to be associated with their game. How about the Philly Rooster calling KC plus two? That's tough for an obvious Eagles fan. I mean, the guy had 30 to one for Philadelphia preseason to win the Super Bowl. So that's going to be a large chunk of change. But he was clearly going against all of that by taking KC plus two. So that's amazing how a professional gambler, instead of hanging on to that Super Bowl 30 to 1, which 99.9999 of us would do, the Philly Rooster thought that there would be more money to make than a 30 to 1 by playing Kansas City plus 2. And it worked. So congratulations to him. The Philly Godfather sold. Philly, up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, that did not work. By the way, some people ask me, I, no, I don't bet. It, and it looks easy. It looks too easy. It's not. There's an example. I would have hit one prop. I would have lost the other, so I would have paid the juice. I would end up losing a small amount of money. I cannot believe that Kansas City won a Super Bowl and Travis Kelsey only caught six passes. No. I thought he would have caught at least seven. But they know what they're talking about. Those folks, I don't think there's any doubt about it. All right, final thoughts coming up. 641-1010. Again, we'll be with you uh, tomorrow night after Helmets and Heels. Rest of the week, 6 to 8. That includes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, heading into the weekend. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Well, this is a different version. I once had a girl, or should I say, she once had me. I see that the she good boys from Dublin, Dublin City, Ireland, are going to do a residency. It's been rumored, and it's going to happen in Las Vegas. They're going to do it without Larry Mullen Jr. on drums because he's having, or has had, shoulder surgery. But that popped out late last night. And uh, got me all fired up. Of course, it starts in September. <laughs> right during football season. So I pride myself on never taking days off during football season. That, that may change. I have to take one off and, uh, and get there to Vegas this fall uh, to see that. that. That should be a whole heck of a lot of fun. Hey, here's another one here. 8057, Mahomes brother Jackson is the worst. Look him up on TikTok. I, I'm not a big... Listen, he deserves criticism. He's an idiot, okay? And that's fine. But why do just people in general 
destroy Patrick Mahomes' wife. I, I, I get that she can be annoying, but it's still his wife. I mean, is there anyone else that you can think of that is even in the same stratosphere a wife, a girlfriend who gets criticized the way that Brittany Mahomes does? Can you think of one? No. Um, most of them actually get, like, insane amount of praise for no reason. Uh, like Savannah James. Um, I Who's Savannah James? Exactly. LeBron James' wife. Oh, Oh. Um uh, no, I I have a hard I guess maybe you remember when Tony Romo used to date Jessica Simpson, they would give it to Jessica Simpson, but she was a celebrity. Okay. Now the Jenner when she's with Booker and they broke up, Kendall Jenner. Yeah, cuz she's a star. But the the vitriol and the nastiness it's, it's, is on a different level. But Brenda Warner took a little bit back in the day. Yeah. Uh, they they took a lot for being Christians and being like uh, you know very upfront. She was very outspoken and yeah, people hate that. But where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line with a family? I mean, it's weird. I'm just thinking around here. The starting quarterback. I mean, you had Gabbard who wasn't married. You had Bortles who wasn't married. You had Minshew who wasn't married. All of a sudden, you know, you bring in Trevor Lawrence, married at what 23, 22, 23. I do not know his wife. I've seen her. I, I hear only wonderful things about his wife. That's probably it. We don't see her here. But can you the, imagine? The small amount that we've seen and heard from Patrick Mahomes' wife, it's a bit loud. It is. But, but still. To the point where she's getting criticized no, the I, way that she is? I, I mean, that's someone's wife, man. I yes. mean, that, that, again, to me, it's like, leave it alone. You know? I mean, I. Now, they got on Giselle a little bit. But not really. They got on her when she, she made called a out West Welker. Exactly. But it was after she said something about a player. Like, it wasn't just. Uh, there's nothing that this lady, I don't even know her name, Miss Mahomes, has done mm-hmm. besides just shrieking in videos, screaming for her husband. Well, I think she brings some of it on herself. I mean, like, like last year, she was spraying the fans with the champagne. <laughs> yeah. Well, this. They. They had, like, a former Chiefs player last week or two weeks ago doing the exact same thing, and it got, like— No one cares. It got zero attention. I have, But if it was her who would have done it, it's all over the place. Yes, I have some ideas of why that I won't say on air, um, but it's social media loves to destroy her. She's just one of the people in the world of NFL. Also, his brother, who also makes it easy to make fun of, He's a TikTok guy. He was dancing on Sean, Sean Taylor's that was memorial. Yeah, he's a knucklehead. He he deserves all the criticism he gets. But like, if these are the things that you can hate Patrick Mahomes by, you know, about his brother and his wife, like that just shows how good of a guy he is. There's yeah. nothing really to hate on Patrick Mahomes for. I I just think you leave. You leave the wife. You leave the girlfriend. You leave the daughter. You leave the mother alone. Civilians. You know. You do. You leave them alone. Unless they do something totally egregious that that creates that pushback. And from what I understand, from what I read, is that she can be annoying. So I wouldn't know what that's Can't they all. (laughs) (laughs) Hacker Nation is coming up, ladies and gentlemen. 
I do not check the text line now that the show is over. If you want to get a hold of me, please do so on Twitter. That is B-A-L-L-O-U-1010-X-L. For JJ, I am Rick Ballou. We'll talk tomorrow after Helmets and Heels.